With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Thursday night, which you know means it is time for MMA Strategy Show right here at AwesomeMode.com. I am Jason Foy. That is a fighter. Pete Rogers Jr. I guess, Pete, we got a, uh, we got a little programming announcement we got to mention. In fact, of uh, starting next week, we're moving to Wednesday nights because of NFL. Uh, NFL, man, one week from tonight. It's already here. I already have my first stadium walkthrough this week. So, uh, man, it is right here, bro. Yeah, it's awesome. It's crazy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm running a little bit behind on my NFL uh, research just because of, you know, you think of baseball, the NBA playoffs, um, so how many MMA cards that we've been dealing with. So, uh, you know, it's it's good to finally have NFL back in my life and uh, it's time to start digging. Did, did you like my little uh, gift to you last night? Another one? Yeah, man, your team just keeps on signing good guys and that offense is going to be insane. The Bucks are very, very dangerous and uh, can't wait to see them. Yeah, man, 10 days, 10 days. We'll be in New Orleans for uh, the first game of the year, man. Look at, looking forward to that. But of course, uh, we are here to talk about uh, Saturday's UFC Vegas number nine. And uh, well, I guess we got to kind of start before we even start breaking down the fights. Well, at least we already lost a fight before the show started. Yeah. If there was a fight to lose, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of okay with losing this fight. Um, you know, it was a, it was a somewhat of a, a difficult matchup in order to, you know, discuss and break down for DFS. I was considering Eubanks in a few lineups based on her price, but you know, the Rosa Eubanks fight is now off. Yeah, man. It's uh, and now Eubanks is now going to fight next week. She'll be taking on uh, Julia Vila. There was another fight that was going to be on this card initially this week. That was Kama worthy and Ottoman Azatar. That's also on next week's show. Um, based on some of the, the things I heard, I think it was more on the uh, Azatar side uh, of why that fight's uh, taking place next week as opposed to coming up this week. But right now we got nine fights. All right, Pete, over under. All right, we've, we've, we, 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 I guess if we're counting Rosa as one, let's say the over under is two and a half now. Are we going under over fight changes tomorrow? I'm saying. I'm saying under. Um, You're hoping. You're hoping. I'm hoping is right because there's one fight that's really sticking out in my mind that um, is like very dangerous and I'm worried about it staying on. And that's the co-main event of Alonzo Menafield and Ovis Ovin St. Pru. Um, we've seen uh, how the last card, um, uh, what, what's his name? He, he popped for COVID again. And I, I'm hoping St. Pru doesn't have to deal with that same thing. Yeah, Ian Kutalaba. I know yes. I did see um, because uh, I'm friends on, on Facebook with a couple people out of Ovince's gym, uh, Knoxville Mixed Martial Arts. Uh, they had po- posted a picture, I want to say it was last night, of they had already gotten back a ne- negative COVID test. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, but, you know, when look in this, we all know just because, and we've seen now a couple of times, just because you have a COVID test at, you know, on Wednesday doesn't mean when you take that COVID test after the weigh-ins on Friday, because that's that's how this works. So they, they take a COVID test when they get there, but then there's also another COVID test they take after the weigh-ins, because once the weigh-ins are completed, they go back into quarantine. They, they go back to the, the hotel that the UFC has rented out, and uh, they're quarantined there until fight day. And so hopefully we have no changes on this fight card. But obviously, it, in terms of roster construction, it does make things a little more interesting with the nine fight car, I know we're going to uh, tie it, ask us a question 
on Twitter that we're going to get into talking about roster construction as we kind of go on there. So uh, be sure to check out that. Of course, if you are watching us, be sure to hit that thumbs up button right here on YouTube. Really do appreciate that does help out Pete and I a lot. So if you're in here, be sure to hit that thumbs up button. Of course, also, you got to subscribe to Osmo here on YouTube or and also hit that notification bell so you know when a new video has been posted. But the, the main event, Alistair Overeem and Augusto Sakai. Alistair Overeem is the betting favorite in this one. If you go over to oddshopper.com or just go awesomeo.com to Odd Shopper, you can see uh, you know the various odds form out there at the DK Sportsbook. He's minus 159. But I want to bring up this tweet from uh, the great Sean Alshadi. Uh, reporter for The Athletic, he uh, had this tweet where he says, a quick list of things going on in the world when Alistair Overeem made his pro debut in 1999. Britney Spears just debuted with Baby One More Time. The Matrix was weeks away from hitting theaters. DC was a wrestler at Colby Community College. Chase Hooper wasn't even born yet. <laughs> that's, that's an all-time uh, tweet right there. I love it. Uh, it goes to show you that Overeem has been around for quite some time. I mean, the guy has 64, 65 fights. So it's, it's really crazy. And, um, you know, the guys fought everybody, everybody in the major organizations. And, um, you know, we've seen the body transformations over time. And I think now he's finally, you know, accustomed to the, to the 265 pound weight class. And I think that he's got a good build for it now. Yeah, I mean, the thing about this fight is, you know, and look, we always kind of talk about when it comes to these five-round main events that you feel like, you know, you have to roster the main event. I don't know if that's one of these cases of where you have to roster this fight. Just, I, I guess my general thought is that I just don't see there being a ton of volume that means you have to roster. I mean, look, obviously, if one of these guys goes out there, wins their first round, okay, the odds are they're likely in the optimal lineup. Um, you know, obviously you got to pay up for Overeem on DK 8,800, 22 on FanDuel. He's only 1.1 times on Super Draft on the other side. Gusto Sakai, 7,400, $19 on FanDuel, 1.35 times on Super Draft. I mention this every week. I hate the way FanDuel sets salaries for the main event. You know, I just, because all I feel like is like, if you do like the underdog, there's no value in the underdog. Yeah, they price them up because of the five rounds. I mean, but we even saw last week when it was a three-round fight how, uh, you know, it was still priced up. Um, you know, I think I might have like a mental block, Jason. Whenever there's a five-round bout, I feel like I need to have exposure to it. And maybe it's because I'm like an optimistic person, so I'm always thinking of the best-case scenario of accumulation of volume or takedowns and advances. So I don't want to be the one on the outside looking in because I refused and tried to get a little too – contrarian um i do think that this is an interesting matchup but with overeem's experience he's pl he's seen plenty of guys that basically are like augusto sakai um augusto sakai in the ufc is 4-0 overeem is 11-7 now don't look at those seven losses and think that he's some bum he really is talented he's a great striker good grappler has wrestling whenever he wants to go to it um he just for certain fighters he doesn't go to that well I think now that he's a part of team elevation and has been for a little bit now and working with the likes of Curtis blades, I think that you're going to see him get to the grappling a little bit more now than, than in his previous UFC fights. I think that's the smart move here. Augusto Sakai, you know, he's dangerous standing up, but he's not some like crazy. He hits hard and, and everybody in the heavyweight division hits hard, but I feel like Overeem's been hit by guys that hit a lot harder. It's just, can Overeem withstand any shots? That's, you know, how is his chin? We don't really know. I mean, because the skills are there. It's not like he's making mistakes in the cage. He's getting hit with a shot or two, and then next thing you know, he's getting knocked out or destroyed. You think of, well, you know, even in the Walt Harris win, how that the beginning of that was very, very ugly for Overeem. But um, at 8,800 for a guy that has more ways to win, I like him a decent amount here. Now, if you're banking on Sakai just catching over him at 7,400, there's plenty of value. I'll, I'll have some exposure there. Yeah, look, I, I think that there's clearly has to be concern about the chin of over him. But, hey, referees are basically saying you got to die before I'll stop the fight. So you got to feel good. Even if yeah, he does get caught, that the referee's going to give him every, 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 every opportunity to stay in the fight. 
Yes and no, though, Jason, because we've seen that happen where they let fights go on too long. And then um, the next round or whatever, the guy who was winning the fight gets put in a bad position and they end up stopping the fight pretty, you know, pretty early compared to how the previous round was. So that's just, you know, the sport of MMA and the unpredictability in it. Um, you know, judgment calls of referees, you're always going to, to find some bad ones, but, uh, it's almost like in basketball, you think about like makeup calls or, you know, maybe I let that person, uh, you know, take too many, too many shots and too much damage. I don't want to be wrong twice. So they stop it early. Yeah. Uh, you know, Samuel mentions in the chat, he says Sakai may be one of those sneaky underdogs to pick. I would say sneaky on DraftKings, yeah, and Super Draft, but not on FanDuel. Yeah, so I mean, you know, especially with the Eubanks Rosa fight out, there aren't too too many seven K options that I'm in love with, and there's a few that I'm actually like crossing off. Uh, we'll get to it, but Sakai is definitely in my player pool, and I'll have my exposure to him in case he catches over him. I think the more likely scenario is the, you know, the high fight IQ of Alistair Overeem of standing up when he needs to and taking it to the mat to win rounds is more likely. So I'll, I'll probably have more exposure to Overeem. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that when you, you look up and down this card and you start looking at those 7,500 and un, under options on, on DK, Augusto Sakai is going to sit, stand out to you because you're like, you know what? Overeem's chin, you don't have a ton of faith in it. Um, but I mean, look, he's to me, he's just the better fighter. Um, he's a cleaner striker, Christopher striker, you know, so I like him in all of those cases, you know, but I just like for me in terms of, I, I would say on all three platforms, I just don't view the main event as you have to roster, you know, it, it's not like, you know, like in a couple of weeks or I guess two weeks from now when Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley fight. Okay. I think you're going to have to roster Colby Covington just because of volume. You know, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't look at this fight and see a ton of volume. And, and that's why I think I'm more in the, I don't think you have to roster it. You know, if you're playing, you know, let's say you're, you're playing, you know, 30 lineups, you know, I, I think you could have this fight in 20 of those 30 lineups. Yeah. I, I think it's so tough to try to really project scores all the time in MMA because, uh, there's so many crazy things can happen. I mean, the guy could just get top position because of a slip and then land more significant strikes than what he was supposed to land in that round. Um, that's where I think the scoring could get interesting for Overeem. If you think about the ground scoring, whether it's advances or ground and pound. Now we also have to think of what is going to be counted as significant strikes. But let me tell you that almost everything that heavyweights throw is significant. And if you punch people in the face, it is pretty significant. So um, I, I would think that almost every piece of offense will be counted in this fight. And uh, for that reason, I do like Overeem quite a bit. Hunter asked about how long Overeem's been in Denver. I want to say two years, probably. He's been there a couple fight camps now. I know it's definitely uh, over a year. Um, and he did fight Curtis Blades and Curtis Blades absolutely destroyed him. So it's almost after he received the beating from Curtis Blades, he's like, I got to work with that guy. That guy's doing something right. That whole team is doing something right. You bring in elevation and upping your cardio when it comes to fighting. People don't understand how beneficial that is. Uh, when I went out to New Mexico and I lived in New Mexico for a little over a month at Cowboy Cerrone's Ranch, I came back to, to the East Coast, Jason, and I had cardio for days. I could not get tired at all. So. Um, I think that's one big advantage, but also that, you know, Overeem's just surrounded by really good talent. Who's Who does Sakai really have that can emulate Overeem? We don't know. Yeah. Uh, Samuel asks, will this fight, uh, will this fight as a pick em? It's not a pick em fight to me. I, I think it's it's very clear. Overeem's a favorite. I, I, the only concern you have with Overeem is a chin. Um, you know, and, you know, that to me is the only concern I have on Overeem. I mean, he lasted and was doing fine in the Jairzinho Rosenstruck fight until he wasn't, right? I mean, like, mm -hmm. how many fighters are winning fights until they're not? It's, I think, the more likely scenario is that Overeem just gets it done. 
Yeah, no, I am. Uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, next up, we got the co-main event, uh, a fight that uh, we broke down, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, something like that? Owen St. Preux and Alonzo Menafield. I, I don't think really the our, our thoughts have changed at all in terms of this. I mean, you know, my, my general takeaway from this fight was, okay, what does Alonzo Menafield look like after coming back from a loss? You know, um, I, I think if, he, if you're in the Owen St. Preux um, part of this, I, I think the thought process has got to be, is hey let's get this fight to the ground you know let's try to let's try to wear on Minifield let's try to wear him out um, I, I think that you know with Alonzo Minifield and you saw it with Devin Clark even though Devin Clark got absolutely you know rocked in the opening round. with the Lucky Land Slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky <gasps> No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He was able to survive that and started to take Alonzo Minifield into waters he had never been in before. So I would think that uh, Ovin St. Preux and his coach Eric Turner I would imagine that has got to be the game plan for this one. I mean, it has to be, right? I mean, these guys were already scheduled to fight each other, and the fight was rebooked because why, Jason? Did St. Preux pop for COVID? Yes. Okay, so, okay, I thought so. Uh, St. Preux pops for COVID, okay? And if you have an illness in camp or whatnot, you're obviously not at 100%, and you're not able to have the best cardio in the world. St. Preux already struggles from cardio from cardio issues in fights. He tapers off as the fight goes on. Now the fight's already been postponed and say it's what, two weeks, two weeks from when they were supposed to fight. How recovered are you? How close to hundred percent are you? He could have been asymptomatic this whole time when we don't know, but I just, it's hard for me to trust Ovin St. Preux. And I understand that he has a wealth of experience in the UFC cage. He's 12 and nine in the UFC. Menafield's relatively green in the UFC. He's two and one. Overall, he's nine and one with a hundred percent finish rate. So the guy packs crazy power. And um, I understand that he was controlled by Devin Clark in their fight against the cage, but Devin Clark does a really good, uh, he's really good at pressing his opponents against the cage and going for traditional double legs and trying to be heavy against you and can actually take some shots and continue moving forward. Um, St. Prue likes to upper body clinch and upper body wrestle a little bit. You're not going to see the t- same type of game plan that uh, Devin Clark imposed on Alonzo Menafield, but I would imagine St. Prue does not want to stand with Alonzo Menafield. That's just danger zone. Um, you know, there are plenty of fighters that weren't able to finish St. Prue standing up, but do you think of Dom Reyes? So, you know, a guy like Menafield who's nine and one, can he really go out there and do it against a proven veteran? I think he can. And the reason I think he can is because St. Prue's 37. He's taken so many shots. He's not really the same fighter that he used to be. Um, I almost feel like we're seeing a lesser version of himself. At 8,300 for a round one type of guy in Alonzo Menafield, I think is an absolute steal. Now, there are obvious, um, you know, obvious things in this fight and in this stylistic matchup that make me worry. St. Prue has obviously the edge in the grappling department and can catch you in Von Prue chokes. Um, you know, if you r- grab a hold of the neck, go for a lazy guillotine and he can actually wrap up your arms and submit you as well. So his submission game is definitely, is definitely something to consider here at 7,900. But I think that Menafield is a little bit more confident from that performance against Devin Clark and not being able to get finished. I mean, he did gas. I mean, it's hard when you're fighting 15 minutes at a very high pace, especially the heavier you are. I just think Alonzo Menafield at 8,300 is, is a very nice value for a round one guy. I, I also, one of my concerns about OSP, and, and when we see this, whether he's fighting in a big cage or a small cage, he tends to back up a lot, finds himself up against the fence a lot, or you have to imagine Safe Sayu, the head coach of Alonzo Menafield, that his mindset is going to be is like, look, he's going to put himself against the fence. This is where you got to cut him off and just start throwing bombs. And we've seen what Alonzo Menafield can do. I mean, look, if Alonzo Menafield can get that first-round stoppage, he's going to be in the optimal lineup at 8,300. You look at DK, $18. 
I, I think that he he's another solid play. So you gotta be sure to uh you know look at, at rostering this fight. Uh do want to let you know if you're watching us live right now in the chat, you see there get 25% off an awesome plus NFL monthly pass and get a free draft kit. All you got to do is use the promo code sleeper at checkout right there in the chat. You see the link that you got to go to, to take advantage of this offer. This will get you player projections, ownership projections, premium content, and more for NFL DFS. As I mentioned, you can also get the, get the draft kit for free as well. Of course, we're all in there to, uh, to, our fantasy drafts are all coming up. Mine's coming up here on Monday night. This is a limited time offer. It is good through September the 9th. So be sure to check out this value or you can get it uh, an $80 value for only $38. Sign up now there at awesomeo.com. Uh, next up, we got uh, a fight that, I, you know what? Who doesn't enjoy watching a Michelle Pereira fight? Oh, I'm, I'm so excited for this fight because Michelle Pereira is probably the one of the most exciting fighters you'll ever see um you know the guy if you think about it, what he did against uh, leon roberts so um he got he just goes out there he throws cartwheel kicks back flips um the guy just does everything that you're not supposed to do but it works for him and uh he's so unorthodox that it's very difficult to train for um going up against a guy in amadeev who had so much hype pre-UFC, was 8-0 entering the UFC and, and is now on back-to-back -back losses. Both, I mean, they both need wins in this spot, and uh, it's a very interesting fight, Jason. Yeah, uh, it's your favorite fight of the, of the night. I, th I think it might be, and I think it is because of the unknown factor. It's like... Oh, you're, you're totally missing my point. Oh, oh no, no, I got you. I got you. The 8,208, <laughs> I'm not struggling with it this week, Jason. Um you know, oh, no. I think I oh, can no. see through the salaries and I've been oh, actually no. pretty good at this uh, price range lately. And uh, I think I'm really starting to, uh, to excel at this 8,200, 8,000 price range, but uh, Michelle Pahea, oh, yeah. 23 and I'm 11. I'm scared now. I'm yeah. scared. I'm Cause I like, I, I like Michelle Pahea in this fight. I do too. I do too. Now, if there is a fight for Amadeev to win, you would think that he could expose the guy who's not really sloppy, but a little overzealous and a little too wild. Um, that's usually what, what you would like in a matchup is for a technician like Amadeev to expose the wild uh, Pahea. But Pahea 8,200, man, I just love him. I think that we could be seeing a, a highlight reel KO here. Um, he throws with power. The guy was beating Diego Sanchez and was doing so really, really well. And then obviously his fight IQ isn't the best. And he threw an, an illegal knee, you know, and Diego Sanchez was hurt from it and wasn't able to continue. So um, now Madiev has some excellent boxing, but we have seen him getting taken down in the past. We have seen him lose fights that he probably shouldn't. He just got knocked out. How does he respond? Um, give me Pahea 8,200. I don't know if you and Rhett brings this up in the chat. I don't know if you saw this from earlier. Uh, I think I think a story came out earlier today about Michelle Paya, about how he was uh, training for this fight, how he was uh, taking down cows and running with horses. Dude, I love it. This guy, I love it, and I feel like we we weren't able to see Michelle Paya for a little bit because he suffered a last minute replacement loss he lost to the guy who stepped in on short notice up a weight class uh was that tristan Connolly? Yes. um and then uh he just lost lost to diego sanchez because he was an idiot and guys and think ahead. about that before that you know illegal knee that he landed he was i mean I know. straight up dominating all caps diego sanchez like yeah. it wasn't even close yeah. You know, the, and the only thing is, is, and he's kind of talked about of kind of going back to more of the wild man style, even though in that fight, he looked, he looked amazing. Um, I don't blame Diego Sanchez for going, ah, let me get my extra check here. Let me, let me cash out of here and get this win. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I think this is a, a really good uh, spot here um, in, in terms of Michelle Pahea, 8,217 on, uh, on FanDuel. 1.2 times on super drafts. So I think there's some good value there. Uh, Joe, appreciate you in the uh, d uh, super chat. He says, uh, favorite question, who's y'all's lock of the card? 
This card is small as hell. No betting my hair on this fight card. Yeah. Um, I feel I, like I feel like the next fight will be the fight that I think people would would turn to in terms of their most confident play of the of the fight card. Yeah, I think that's safe. I, I think if you want to think of a safe fight, it's probably kill her. Um, you know, facing uh, Natividad, who's stepping up on short notice. And, uh, you know, Kelleher has really made a name for himself of being a, a very tough guy. Not really a gatekeeper, but he's like a, a staple in the division. And he can uh, he can cause problems all over. He's just very well-rounded. He's got good boxing um, and underrated grappling. I really think that could be the difference in a lot of the fights, especially in this one where the Tividad does like to shoot takedowns, um, you know, we'll get to it. But I think that Keller is in a nice spot. Yeah, I, I do like Keller in that spot. I mean, the one thing about when I was putting my sheet together of the salaries is if you like any of these big underdogs, man, there is some value on FanDuel. Yeah, you know, I'm not I, – I don't really play too much on FanDuel. I know that you have a lot of success over there. Um you know, the line of construction is always weird for me, um, you know. Well, in terms of MMA, you just – you got to hit that captain, correct? That That's – Yeah. It, you got to hit – I mean, last week was one – I mean, look, um, you know, DK, the you know the big GPP, a losing fighter who only scored what, 49 points, was in yeah. the optimal lineup? Yeah, I, I think you're correct. And I actually think for, like, FanDuel, we'll get to a guy who – is my Tom Aspinall of the week and uh, you know, where I feel really, really confident and um, it's Romanoff uh, regardless of platform. We'll get to him. You mentioned about uh, Kelleher, you know, you know, short notice fight, uh, you know, of course initially supposed to take on Ricky Simone. Uh, Brian Kelleher has become a media darling. Um, and, and I'll tell you why that is, is he's friendly with the media. When fighters are friendly with the media, they become the media's favorite fighter. Um, this is a good, this is a good spot for Brian Kelher. Um, you know, do I want to pay up for him on DK? I like him more on Fandle 18. Okay. So like Kelleher looks like he's getting a softball matchup and Natividad's really, really tough. So I don't want people to think that this guy's not skilled. The guy is very skilled. He's nine and one had an extensive amateur background as well. The guy has good, good boxing and actually good wrestling. Now, the issue is that he strikes a little bit, excuse me, strikes a little bit until he's not finding so much success. And then he starts to bank on takedowns. And uh, that's where I think he could run into problems against Kelleher. Because if Kelleher is offensive with his wrestling, that's one thing. And Kelleher should shine in that moment. But if Kelleher is defensive with his wrestling, he has an amazing guillotine choke and scrambles really well. Now, I think that his takedown defense um, is a little bit underrated, and people think you could just put him on his back and then just punish him. Now, I don't know if Natividad could really do that to a guy like Kelleher who's seen it all in the division and has fought some serious, notable names. I think that Kelleher is in a great spot here at 9,200. It's just whether or not he gets the finish. I honestly think more likely than not, he does not get the finish over the tough Natividad. I think Natividad's very, very tough. I'd like to see him in a matchup, not Brian Kelleher, um, and not on short notice, because I think the guy has skills and uh, represents a challenge for most people stylistically. I just think Kelleher will have the answers. Yeah. Um, the next matchup, I think, is another matchup. You got. I, I think when you're looking at the underdog, this might be one of my – more interesting underdogs and that being Jalen Turner taking on uh, Tiago Moses, Tiago Moses, 9,000 on DK 7,300 for Jalen Turner, $20 on FanDuel for Moses, $14 for Jalen Turner and and going over to odd shopper, which if you're looking to, uh, you know, price out the odds on on the fights, uh, the best line we got on uh, Tiago Moses is minus 170. uh, The best line on Jalen Turner plus 145. Okay, so I feel like I might be like alone on an island or something, but I'm actually favoring Turner here, and I think I can explain why. And um, you know the the obvious size, you know, discrepancy here. Turner is six three. Moises is five nine. Turner has a seven inch reach advantage. Now I think that Turner 
can represent a problem for Tiago Moises because if you think about his previous fight against Michael Johnson, he was getting lit up on the feet. Now, mm-hmm. Turner had, does not have the hands that Michael Johnson does. Let's be clear with that. Michael Johnson has some incredible hands. And if you think about it, even knocked out Dustin Poirier a little bit ago. So the guy isn't on the level of Michael Johnson in terms of hands, but his striking is very strong. He throws a lot of knees up the middle. And I would believe Tiago Moises will look to take this fight to the ground. Um, Tiago Moises is good standing up, has good boxing, and relies a lot on a right roundhouse kick to the head. And that's going to work for him in this matchup against a big southpaw in Turner. Now, I think Turner's size is going to create so many problems for Tiago Moises because if you're a tall guy and you're able to you know, keep people away from you. With- Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's better than free money? How you choose to spend it. Open a CQ checking account and get $250 to spend freely. And that's not all this credit union offers. Do your banking, build credit, and invest in your future. Visit secumd.org today. Your range, and he has a seven-inch reach advantage. That is huge. Now, if you're also humongous in the off season or in between fights and you have a lot of muscle mass and you're a big 55 or big for your weight class, you're going to have a significant um, advantage over your opponents, especially if you can cut weight correctly. And I think we see that in Turner because he does not look like he should be a 155 pounder. He looks like a true 170 pounder. The guy's humongous. Now he's a brown belt in jujitsu. So I think he can do enough to not get put in horrible positions, even though we have seen him struggle on the mat. Now, I know that sounds crazy because we have seen Turner exposed and he is nine and five overall. I just wasn't really that impressed with Tiago Moises, his last performance. I really wasn't. He was down on the scorecards to Michael Johnson. And then second round came out there and basically fell to his back and searched for that nice Achilles leg lock and uh, got the tap from Michael Johnson. I just think it's Turner's fight. And, you know, I'm going to take a bold stand here at, at Turner at 7,200. I really like him. Uh, look, I don't think you want to play on the ground with Tiago Moses. No, no, no. I, I mean, but you, I, you mentioned a great point. If you go back to that Michael Johnson fight, yeah, he got submission in the second round, but he was getting pieced apart in the opening round where Michael Johnson was able to keep the fight uh, on the feet. I mean, look, to me, that is uh, – that's how Jalen Turner's got to win this fight. He's got to keep it on the feet. Uh, I love the value everywhere on him. 73 on DK, 14 on FanDuel, 1.4 times on Superdraft. To me, there's so much value there on Jalen Turner. I think he's someone you have to look at, but I, I think – and you would note this. It, it is still buyer beware of if he can't keep the fight on the feet. Yeah, of course. So, like, Moises has his, you know, significant advantage on the ground. Um but I feel like we could see a situation where you see a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt going for positions and submissions that could actually lead him in uh, ground and pound trouble. And I think that Turner's strong enough to, to put it on Moises and uh, possibly get a stoppage. The next fight, I feel like we're going to have a little debate here. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Andre Munoz, 7,600. Uh, Fabinski, 8,600. I- I'm just saying this. When you watch that contender series fight, you tell me Fabinski's not going to be able to take this fight to the ground ASAP and keep it there. All right. So I like Munis in this fight and you like Fabinski. Now, Munis did get taken down in the contender series fight. Yes. Now he was going up against an all American wrestler who was a national champion as well. So let's, let's not discredit that guy's takedown ability. But what happened after he got taken down is he was able to threaten with some submissions and he's so squirrely on the ground. Muniz really throws up umaplatas, arm bars, triangles, anything. We'll even start to hunt leg locks just to get you to react so he can get back to his feet and start chaining together his own takedowns. And that's what we saw in that fight against uh, his opponent in the contender series where he was put in a bad spot and he worked out of it and was able to take his opponent down, who was, you know, an all-American wrestler. 
and was able to get the back and work towards a submission. This guy has a ridiculous amount of finishes and a ridiculous amount of submissions. Now, Muniz is 19 and four overall with an 84% finish rate. Uh, it's like music to my ears right now. I absolutely love it. And I watched Fabinski. Fabinski has great takedowns. And if you look at the stats, averages seven landed takedowns per 15 minutes. Now that's amazing. But the problem is Muniz isn't going to be like, that's where he wants to fight. He's a grappler. He's going to be okay with that. As long as he doesn't just play jujitsu and, you know, get beat up in the process and TKO by Fabinski. I think Muniz is slick enough to put Fabinski in a bad submission attempt and, and tap him. We've seen it happen before. I just think that Fabinski is very good at keeping in the ground and just doing enough to keep it on the ground. Fight round up, go to the corner, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. That to me is, I can, you know, the question, you know, this is, the, this is always my thing about when we're talking about solid jujitsu players is there's a difference of, are you a great jujitsu guy when you're in top position, but what are you like when you're on your back? Yeah, it's a great point, um, you know, and uh, you have to think of how, you know, these Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners translate to MMA, if they can take a shot or if they can handle getting ground and pounded because, you know, the more times you get hit, sometimes the less, you know, the less aware you are or, you, you know, you have black belts turning into white belts, the more ground and pound you land. I do yeah. think that Munis is, uh, he's, you know, squirrely enough and he throws up submissions. He hunts them. And I even saw in the Darren Stewart fight that Fabinski just had, you know, his takedowns, they're good, but they seem somewhat lazy and he leaves his neck out there. I just think that Moon is his to play and I, I really like him. I need some 7K options, man. You know, the Fabinski could definitely break the slate with his takedown potential, but give me the guy who's slick and, and hunts necks. Give me Moon is. Now, here's the concern on Fabinski. The number is six, Pete. Uh, six years since he won a fight by finish. Yeah, I don't know. The guy has a 53% finish rate, not the best. What he does is like a, a you know, kind of like a lay and pray style and, you know, works good takedowns, has a good judo background. And then if his opponents stand up, you know, he takes them back down. Um, Munis, like I said, I think can be slick enough to get out of some bad positions and put Fabinski in them. But who do you think has the striking advantage? Because I just think that Munis might have a little bit more in his corner than Fabinski. No, I agree. I agree with that. Oh, I'm with you on that. Um, then we got uh, Viviana Rujo taking on Montana De La Rosa. I feel like this is a pretty easy fight to break down, Pete. Um, you know, Rujo, the, the favorite in this one, a 900 on, on DK to me, if you're Montana Del Rosa, you got to get in top position on the ground. So that's where she wants to get the fight. Um, you know, I think if you're in the Rujo camp, I think the only concern, um, outside of, you know, getting stuck on your back would be, um, the gas tank. Yeah. And, you know, I was very high on Araujo. I like her even, um, in her previous fight. It's just uh, kind of like what happens with Sajara Eubanks, you know, very explosive early on and then starts to taper off as the fight goes on. Um, you know, the girl's very good. You saw her get a very nice knockout. That doesn't happen too often in women's MMA, and Araujo did that. At 8,900 is probably not my favorite spot. Um, I think it's definitely a contrarian play as an upper echelon 8 or 9K option. Um, you know, De La Rosa has a good ground game, but – you know, Araujo isn't horrible on the mat at all. I mean, she has a, some good background as well, but she's just so dynamic standing up. She just prefers to keep it on the feet. I think Araujo, um, you know, just has more ways to win. And De La Rosa will be a very popular 7,300 7, option. So I'm actually going to avoid that ownership. And I, I think I'll have a few lines with Araujo. All right, let me, I'm, I'm going to throw some names out here when it comes to Montana De La Rosa. Okay. Tell me her best UFC win. Christina Marks, Rachel Ostevich, Nadine Kassam, Mara Romero Barella. Probably Ostevich, honestly. It, yeah, it's not. I mean, when you look at you know her losses in the, in the UFC, she lost to Nico Montagna in the Ultimate Fighter. 
you know, she lost to Andrea Lee by decision. Um, you know, to me, it's, you know, she hasn't had that, that notable win. Yeah. I mean, we can also, we can look at it two ways. She is four and one in the UFC. So she, she's obviously doing something right. Uh, I just think that, you know, Araujo is a, a name to circle for the matchmakers as somebody that they could build. And she is 33. So, I mean, she should be in her prime. Um, and I think that we've seen some potential and what she could do in the division, but, uh, you know, I think Montana De La Rosa will be very popular at 7,300, and I don't necessarily love that fight. Obviously, this fight screams, you know, submission from guard, armbar from guard. So be be very careful because we've seen that happen far too often. And, uh, you know, we were on the right side of it last week. Yeah, you love it when you're on the right side, but when you're on the wrong side, uh, I mean, $9 for Montana De La Rosa on FanDuel, Oof. I mean, man. That's disrespectful. That is disrespectful, FanDuel. If you if you can put her, you put her in one of your FanDuel lineups, you're going to be able to create a really good lineup. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to be able to put in, you know, some of those high high dollar options that that you may want in there. Of course, you know, you teased a little bit about there was a fighter on this card that uh, you liked, and I think the chat pretty much had already figured out who that fighter was. Uh, you know, you got Alexander Romanov, Romanov taking on Marcos Rogero to Lima. Uh, Delima at heavyweight, uh, you know, he just, I guess, basically decided uh, a while ago, his days of cutting at 205 were just over. Uh, and you got like the price point on all platforms here. This is my boy. I love Romanov. And I know he hasn't fought in the UFC yet, but man, this is my guy. I like him. I like him a lot. And, uh, you know, I was all over Tom Aspinall when he made his debut, but that was for different reasons, completely different stylistic, um, uh, you know, game as far as Romanov versus Aspinall, but as far as like finding a guy in that price range, I really like him. Now Romanov, you guys need to type in Romanov and watch some of his fights. The guy is an animal. He's not bad standing up. Uh, he's just a big guy, six feet. Um, and what he does in his fights is he just overpowers his opponents to the mat. Now his strength of schedule is obviously questionable outside the UFC. I mean, how many tough guys has he actually faced? Delima is no slouch, but we have seen Delima when he gets put on his back kind of looks like a fish out of water. If a guy has good top pressure. Now Delima does have submission wins. He is six and four in the UFC in the UFC. Romanov is making his debut. So is he really cut out for fighting in the UFC? And I think the answer to that, Jason is yes. Delima is going to be very, very popular at 7,800 because the guy throws bombs and it just needs one to clip you. Um, you know, look what he did to Ben Sassoli. So I think that Romanov might be my favorite play on the whole card. And I'm not even kidding. Uh, the guy has an aggressive top game. And when he gets you down, he's either hunting submissions immediately or he's throwing ground and pound faster than 145 pounders. Okay. He's, his speed with ground and pound is insane. And his nickname is very fitting, King Kong. Like, why don't you want to roster King Kong? I want King Kong in my lineups. And I think that at 8,400, I might just hit that lock button on the fantasy cruncher because I think he's a round one guy. I think he's going to get it done early. I really do. Now, let's be, let's be serious and say that Delima definitely can win this fight. Definitely can win this fight because you don't know what you're getting out of Romanov. But I'll take my chances. Of course, uh, if you're looking to uh, take advantage of our Awesome Plus MMA Weekly Pass where you can get player projections, ownership projections, and a top fighter tool, you can sign up for a weekly pass today. Go by going to awesome.com forward slash join. Sign up for a weekly pass for $8.95. And, uh, you know, and I'll, and I'll tell you, be sure add add Fancy Cruncher to your to your account. I'm telling you, you're going to – it's going to pay off for you because it can really help out when you're creating those lineup constructions. Uh, Samuel, appreciate you, you in the, the super chat. He says top two favorites, top two underdogs. Will you consider using the same fires at MVP on FanDuel as champion on super draft? Thanks fellas. So obviously, um, Pete, obviously, uh, Romanoff is going to be someone that you're going to be put in that, oh, that, yeah. uh, that spot 1.2 times uh, at captain on super draft. I don't mind that 18, um, $17 on FanDuel. Yeah. 
definitely, you know, when I'm putting together my FanDuel lineups, he will definitely be put in the captain spot. And, you know, I would say a good amount of them. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I mean, if I have to look at the card from a DFS perspective, like I think Kelleher is a very safe favorite to get a W. I just don't know how that translates into the DFS world. Um, I would say, oddly enough, I might have a lot of faith in both Menafield and Romanov as, as my two favorites. Um, and then as far as underdogs, we already know where I'm, I'm going to have some exposure to Sakai, but we touched on I like Turner and I do like Moonis quite a bit. So I just decided to do a little fan duel fancy crunch while i sit here and so i, I locked in romanoff and so uh so let's see we've got we've got 150 lineups in number we've got 58 percent on the second highest uh fire come in who do you think it is oh um i, lo- I locked in romanoff locked him in okay okay i would say it's probably menafield nope oh Montana De La Rosa. Yeah, yeah. And the price the price really makes sense. Um yeah, I mean, like, look, sense. I would I would probably be more interested in, in Overing came up a lot as the MVP. Um I'd be more interested in putting uh Romanoff in as MVP. Um now will that, you know, I mean obviously you gotta pay up a little bit for Oscar Overing. Um, but you know, like when when I'm when I'm putting together my FanDuel lineups and I'm looking at the MVP spot, to me it's about, okay, A, who do I think can win the first round? Where can I get that 150-point bonus right there? Right. And then it's, okay, you necessarily don't want that fighter going to go out there and win in, in you know five punches. Ideally, I want you to win in, in the four-minute mark of the first round. Yeah. I think Romanov could break the slate with what I'm seeing on film. Because the guy shoots great double legs and just absolutely puts people down on their back. And we have seen Delima get submitted by guys like uh, Stefan Struve. And, you know, Stefan Struve has a good ground game. So let's not discredit that. But Romanoff is a huge guy. Like, the guy is huge. Like, the nickname is fitting. And when he gets on top of you, he will throw 30 significant strikes in 30 seconds. Like, the guy is so fast and so aggressive. He's like so aggressive. He's like a 9K fighter at 8,400. 8, In terms of Sam's question, top two favorites. Yeah. For me, I would say Kelleher and Overing. You feel that confident Overing is going to avoid the shot? I, I think he will too, but I, I feel. I just funny. think he's just, he, he's just a better overall fighter. I mean, look, he, he, it's heavyweight MMA. He can get caught. I just feel, you know, I just feel with his he's just a better fighter and and the problem is and i think that i concern that sakai just is not active and he just he he just starts losing rounds yeah okay i'm gonna play devil's advocate how many of overeem's losses was he the better fighter probably a decent amount right i mean you know, you think about the Jairzinho Rosenstruck, he literally was doing fine until the final seconds of the fight and one slip up. So he's on his way to decision victory. He's what, 15 yeah. seconds away from a victory. Yeah. So he's a clear liability. Like if you're looking at the high 8K or 9K range, let's let's look at it. Let me scroll. Let me. So we have over him 8,800, label him a liability. Kelleher, not really a liability. That should be a safe win. Moises? I would label him a liability as well. Araujo, you know, outside of Kelleher and Hunter Azure, I mean, some of these high-priced options, you know, what what kind of fighter are you going to get? Yeah, we'll talk about Hunter Azure and Cole Smith here in a moment. Um, in terms of uh, my top two underdogs, uh, I would put Jalen Turner. And my second would be... Yeah, because I'm curious because you didn't like my other underdog pick. OSP. It's a safe one. Well, I don't know if you can say safe, but it's a logical one. You know what I mean? Like that's probably one of the most it's, logical it's, underdogs. It's a lot. To me, it's the 
OSP makes a dirty fight, gets the fight to the ground, uses his weight to wear on Minifield, wear him down. And, and one of the things that OSP is really good at is when you, you know, <laughs> we, we all talk about the Von Flu choke. It, it's the way he sets it up. And, and, he's, and when you talk to people who I've talked to people who he trains with mm. and they said, like, it's just not one setup he does. It's multiple setups. And they go, that's why he's able to catch so many people with them, because he has different ways he works to that choke. Yeah. I mean, when you're good at something, I mean, it's your bread and butter. You can you can really just find cool setups for it and, you know, little positions like for me. I'm really good with, I have long arms, so I'm really good with guillotines and darts chokes. So I can hit guillotines and darts chokes from a lot of places. And you see OSP just knows what his strength is. He knows what he's good at. Yeah. Um, who are your top two underdogs? I'd say Turner and uh, my boy Munis. I think that he's going to surprise you. Um, next up, we got Hunter Azure and Cole Smith. Hunter Azure, 9,100 on DK, 7,100 for Cole Smith. I talked to Cole, uh, I guess about two weeks ago at this point. Yeah. And uh, probably uh, my biggest takeaway from him was it's been al- almost a-, a year since he's been in the octagon. And, you know, we talked a lot about kind of like what this last year has been like for him. And, and obviously outside of COVID and, you know, one of the things that he said to me that really stuck out to me, and, and I'm guessing that you can probably kind of relate in a way. He said, he goes, I'm enjoying the process more now. He goes, my last fight, it was in Canada. He goes, it was just so much pressure on me. And he goes, I just didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the process. And he talked about that's what he's really enjoying here. You know, with Hunter Azure, how does he bounce back from getting brutally knocked out the way he was in a fight that he was winning? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, when you think of Cole Smith, I can absolutely relate to that. Um, you know, you get so obsessed over the idea of winning and you just get that kind of just like takes over. And that's the whole enjoyment is out the window. And I really like fight camps. Like I love fight camps. Like some fighters hate them. I absolutely love them. And a lot of the times when you put so much pressure on yourself, you forget that you actually love fighting. Like, when the fight's there, you, you're like, man, I'm supposed to enjoy this and look forward to this day. And when you end up putting so much pressure on yourself, sometimes it's like, Ooh, I don't know. You kind of get like, uh, I don't know. It just the, the moment gets the best of you. And, uh, I think that's kind of what Cole Smith was saying, you know, especially as an undefeated fighter, you have so much pressure on you and you're seven to zero, and, you know, everybody wants to talk about being undefeated and who's going to mm-hmm. give you that first loss. And now we'll see, both of these guys coming off their first career losses. And I think it's pretty interesting guys that were undefeated are now facing each other after their first loss. Um, Cole Smith has a very underrated ground game. And I want people to understand that he's very, very talented as far as jujitsu as well. Uh, He was able to, you know, scramble in the miles Johns fight and take his back and control him for quite some time. Wasn't able to put him in, you know, much submission danger, but He's trained well, and he has. He's now a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Um, you know, good, good, gra- uh, good. You know, grappler, but really likes to press his opponents against the cage. Now, Hunter Azure is a former state champion for wrestling. We just really haven't seen it too much in the UFC. We saw it on the Contender Series, him going to those beautiful single leg dumps, and I think that's in his toolbox to get to. And uh, you know. As a guy, say say I was fighting Hunter Azure and he just got knocked out, I would definitely want to test that chin of his. So you would imagine Cole Smith, despite not having the best striking in the world, will probably try to hit that off switch. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a mental battle for both of these guys. How does Hunter Azure come back from getting brutally KO'd when he was dominating against Brian Kelleher? So much volume, so much speed. I think that he should get back to his roots of grappling. And I think Cole Smith is actually kind of expecting that, but I do think Hunter Azure has more ways to win and is the better fighter in this situation. So the line is pretty wide, uh, minus 220 and plus 185. But I do think they have it correct that Hunter Azure has the better striking, good wrestling, and could avoid some bad positions from Cole Smith. Uh, Red had mentioned, he goes, I think this is a decision fight. That's my concern. Then again, based on the optimizer, it's low owned on DK. Yeah, it is. You know, um, I, at least I know I did on FanDuel. It was both were under 
20%. And uh, the thing to look at, the current over two and a half round prop on this fight, minus 240. Yeah, I think that's appropriate. And uh, I think it goes to show you that Cole Smith, you know, he has a 71% finish rate, doesn't have the best striking to really expose Hunter Azure's chin at this moment. Hunter Azure only has a 50% finish rate going up against a very durable and tough Cole Smith. So it definitely screams uh, decision. Now, when fights scream decisions, sometimes you can get leverage on the field by playing them, and sometimes stranger things have happened, and uh, you get higher point totals. Because if Hunter Azure kept that pace that he was that he was fighting Brian Kelleher at over three rounds, man, his score would have been pretty nice. But ultimately, started to fatigue. Before we get into some listener questions, do want to let you know about a promo we got going on over at awesomeo.com where you can get 25% off an Awesomeo Plus NFL monthly pass with a free draft kit when you use the promo code SLEEPER at checkout. You've seen it mentioned here in the chat, so be sure to hit that link to sign up for an NFL monthly pass for 25% off and you get a free draft kit. Also, be sure uh, we've got the the MMA weekly pass for $8.95 where you can get access to all the great tools that we do have to offer here at Osmo.com. Uh, first up, I want to mention a question we got earlier today on Twitter from Ty. He says, say you're going to do a three-entry max, who would you consider? Who would you construct your pool? How many fighters are you including? Um, so you already know. Let me give you the little free square of Romanov. Um, I think that's a pretty easy one. I would say exposure. Now, uh, roster construction has a lot to do with targeting the right fights. You don't always have to be correct on your predictions but you want to target the right fight. So for instance, like say the Hunter Azure Smith fight that screams decision and will basically only be a leverage play because the most likely scenario is that a finish does not occur. Whereas the Menafield St. Prue fight that screams, somebody's going to get a finish. and could be optimal. Um, so I probably say Menafield is a second that I would consider. And then it's hard for me to get away from five rounds, Jason. It really is. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I was just, I was just going to pull up a, a fancy cruncher on FanDuel just cause I know Ty usually uh, asks us about that. And when I just lock in Romanov as the MVP and then, uh, the other one I locked in was Minifield, uh, you're going to get a lot of lines with Calher Overeem. So you can put together a really nice lineup, but like for me, especially on FanDuel, when I'm constructing lineups and for MMA, I do do a lot of a hand, um, doing um lineups is on FanDuel. it's about let me get the mvp first let me let me start there um some other questions we'll get in here before uh we get out of here uh just kind of go back up in the chat and find some some questions uh by the way uh we mentioned at the beginning of the show uh starting next week the strategy show will now be on wednesday nights uh due to the nfl season starting up next week so just note next week when you're here on thursday we won't be here show already be on youtube but we'll be live uh coming up here on wednesday nights uh, going forward uh let's see here top fights a target it's a great question i i think that's the thinking you need to to look at is which fights are good to target. I would say the Menafield St. Prue fight, um, the Pahea Amadea fight. Romanoff the Lima. There's three that I would definitely target. Uh, Rhett says he goes, how do you value salary? Then is it okay to leave money on the table? Yeah. I, I have no problem leaving money on the table. Yeah. I mean, you'll see optimal lineups leave money on the table all the time. And, uh, there was an odd situation where, what was it, last week? Um, I'm trying to think. We have so many fight cards. Alex Caceres was the only 7K option that ended up pulling it off. And uh, the optimal lineup had a losing fighter and the winning fighter. So, um, you know, the only time you'll see that happen is when more 7K options don't win, obviously. And, uh, you know, that's when stacking fights can work is if all 7K options really just don't come through. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, wrap up with our picks. Our, these are straight up picks for uh, the fight card. Uh, give me Overeem. Give me Minifield. Give me Pahaya. Kelleher. Give me Jalen Turner for the upset. Uh, Fabinski. 
uh, Rujo, uh, Romanov, and uh, give me Azure. Nice. I'm going over in Menafield, um, Pahea, Kelleher, Turner, Muniz, Araujo, Romanov times 10, and then Hunter Azure. Of course, uh, we will be here on Saturday for uh, MMA Live Before Lock. We will start, I, will, I believe we'll be at 4.30 p.m. each time, so be sure to hit up that. Of course, uh, this show, if you can't catch us live, it's always available on demand on YouTube. Also on the podcast channels, you can go to awesomeoak.com and you can see the link for whether you like to listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. That's going to wrap it up for the MMA DFS strategy show for UFC Vegas right here on awesomeoak.com.